Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. everybody welcome to red shirts and runabouts the heroes podcast network star trek podcast i am derek your host i have my two returning 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 guests who have been on my tng journey with me ray hello and zach hey how's it going good good we are back to review the last of the tng era film star trek nemesis the 10th film in the franchise our 47th episode on the show. Um, before we do that, we're going to talk some news um, and then some poll data, and then we'll dive into uh, the review and discussion on Nemesis. Um, so this past weekend was Star Trek Destination, which is over in Europe. It looks like it was a lot of fun for everybody who got to attend. Um, not a lot of breaking news um, came out of it. Some interesting interviews, stuff like that. We did get our first look at Lorel, Chancellor Lorel in season two. Yes, she's been promoted. What do you guys think about her slightly altered look? No boobs, no care. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, Mary Chifo is absolutely wonderful. And yeah. I think she looks really glorious. Have we ever seen a Klingon dress before? Like that's, Klingon fashion is very under-defined. So I think it she yeah. looks beautiful. Yeah. I was trying to think Klingon dress, like we've seen the the sisters from mm-hmm. the TOS movies, uh, but but those were a bit more like aggressively provocative. This just looks very formal, very regal. Um she uh, I do like that she looks like she is uh, healthier than like it looks a little sickly in, in the like side by side shot that you were showing us mm-hmm. before. Um yeah, I'm 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 excited. It's interesting with the full hair, though, because like yeah. we've seen Worf down, uh, with his hair down, but it's usually like in braids or it's flowing, as we've talked about in recent weeks. Um, but she's got very thick, full Klingon hair, and that's not something not something we saw at all last season, and right. it's not something we've seen much of in Trek history. Yeah, so that's the big change, right, is the Klingons will have hair, and they've, they've explained that away. Uh, we talked about this on a previous episode, just basically how it's not wartime anymore. Mm-hmm. And they shave their heads during a time of war. And there's some, you know, trekky science behind that uh, about the reasons um, for it. But yeah, she looks good. There, there's definitely some subtle changes to the prosthetics mm-hmm. um, that maybe that has to do with making it easier for her and the other Klingon actors to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, some of them struggled a bit because historically Klingons did not really have prosthetics around their mouths. They only had top teeth yeah um instead, instead of both it was really difficult to understand what they were saying and mm-hmm. even in the klingon speech they all still had lisps it, it was yeah pretty upsetting like if they didn't provide subtitles i sure as hell would have had to turn them on for sure yeah so i mean hopefully this this season will be easier 
uh, for people to, to, to be able to speak um, in that makeup work. But I think the, the health thing, it not being, you know, wartime and she's not an outcast anymore. Mm -hmm. it, it makes sense. It's an easy way for them to write it off. You know, as people gain weight, their body changes, their bones become less apparent. So it makes perfect sense just canonly. Canically. Yeah. Canonically. Canonically. Oh, yeah. Nautically? Canonically. Nautically. Canonically. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> this has been uh, your word lesson for the day. <laughs> canonically is this the canon pronunciation. Is brought to you by, by the, the letter C. This <laughs> in canonically. Um, uh, one of the other things, of course, is you know they they're asking people about the Picard show, mm -hmm. um, which you know we still know very little about. Um, and you know Michael Dorn had been asked if he wanted to be on the show, and he basically said that he wouldn't want to be on it for a cameo for a. And this is a bit of a paraphrase, but basically a Worf, what are you doing here? Kind of moment, uh, because it takes a long time to be put in that makeup and those prosthetics. And um, I can't blame him. Yeah, I think that's just crazy. Now, if they offered him some type of bigger recurring role, would he say no? I mean, I'm not going to speak for him, but I doubt it. You know, I'd be surprised if he wasn't at least interested in having conversations about that. I mean, he's been wanting the Wharf show for years now, since before yes. like the Discovery return. Oh yeah, he's been talking about a, a Captain Wharf show for probably ten years now, and I would love that. I'd be um, all for it. I so. mean, they're going to make a lot of Trek shows. Uh, I don't know if we touched on this before, but I saw an article this week talking about um, how each of the, the new Trek shows are going to have a different uh, theme and tone to them. So mm -hmm. we're not just getting like, because they're concerned about oversaturation. Um, so that'll be cool. I'm and, really interested in Trek horror. Like <laughs> yeah. legitimately, oh, yeah. I love sci-fi horror films. Sure. My favorite horror films are usually sci-fi skewed. So if there is like a Trek with a slight horror, suspense, thriller kind of thing to it, I would be down. That would be cool. Yeah. We're probably going to get like a cool. teenage drama <laughs> from Starfleet. That would be cute. Yeah, yeah like, I'd be on board uh, with that. Academy. Like they could make it serious like oh, yeah. Gifted or The Runaways mm -hmm. or something like that where it's, yeah. it's more serious. And that would bring new people be, into the fandom. Yeah, it doesn't have to be Trek Degrassi. Yeah. <laughs> No, and there's been talks in the past about doing like a Starfleet Academy movie or something like that, and you know, there's a, we got very little pieces of it in the Kelvin 2009 film, mm -hmm. um, but I think that could be interesting to do a, something at Starfleet Academy, especially to, you know if there's certain time periods that you can pick that would be particularly interesting for Starfleet Academy. Um, so I could see yeah. some interesting stuff there. A cool place. Um, Maybe cool is not the right word, but an, an interesting one, one rife with, with topics would be uh, something that takes place like right around the time of the Zindi attack mm -hmm. on Earth because these would be kids who aren't yet positioned to really be in Starfleet. Um, yeah. They're not on ships or anything yet, and 7 million people were just killed in you know across uh, the United States. It's a very uh, Battlestar Galactica-esque feel to it. A little bit, right? Yeah. And that was a very successful show from a tone perspective people yeah. really like that style and i think that could be interesting yeah um and you know maybe it ends with them you know getting on their ships and you know whatever but um yeah so i still if i had my way and this is never going to happen the trek show that i really want to have is an adult swim sea lab-esque show that uses footage from the animated trek series and it's just foul mouth and inappropriate like <laughs> like I, that, I would love that I mean, I would love a new animated show. Yeah. I, uh, I really honestly thought when there were all these rumors swirling around Patrick Stewart and things like that, I really thought they were going to announce like a 
animated Star Trek series that took place after Nemesis. Yeah. So you could have all of those actors play roles and not have age be a factor. You could even do the the beta canon before becoming data story because Brent Spiner's age would no longer matter. Yeah. Um, I really thought they were going to go that route. Uh, I'm a little surprised they didn't. I mean, I'm shocked yeah. that they went the route that they did instead of that. Um, so it's always possible that we'll see something animated. Sure. You know, um, it could be cool. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, but yeah, th- that's pretty much well, it. Hell, I think. Kirk could even come back for animated. Yeah, yeah, they'd have to pitch him something good for yeah, that. Oh, absolutely. I guess Kate Mulgrew did say that she would suit up again if they if she was able to do something with uh, Kirk and, and Picard. Oh, if she cool. was able to do something with yeah. Shatner and, and Stewart, she would be willing to, but to do not it again. So Brooks and oh. well, Brooks, Bacula. Brooks has made it clear that that part He's of his done. life is done, and yeah. I respect that. You know, it's, it was only one part of his career. And Bacula's story, there's, I mean, unless you want to do some crazy time travel stuff, there's no way mm-hmm. for those characters to cross over anyway, versus the other three are together. Still, a Deep Space Nine continuation uh, with Brooks would be awesome, if he was not so done. And he's he's checked out, like, he is, if you see him in interviews, like, he's super, like, jazz-absorbed and, like, not even, like, half here, like, very, like, you know, um... Well, it, isn't he just not very, um, I guess forthcoming or like he didn't participate in that ds9 documentary that's coming out that's not true oh he did did he okay i was hoping he would so there there were rumors that he he didn't uh he did to to an extent i don't know to what extent i just know that really the thing is is that for him this part of his life is over and he Mm -hmm. doesn't want to continue to revisit it because he doesn't feel like there's anything more to say about it Yeah. yeah they've done hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of footage and he doesn't feel like there's anything left to say that hasn't been said you still think that he would want to maybe come back to the role because he had very strong opinions about the way it ended and he felt that as a black man and a father in television that it was a bad deal for him to end deep space nine spoilers uh to end deep space nine (laughs) uh disappearing he felt that that was uh it sent a very bad message it does not send a good one and maybe if cbs went to him and said we want to do a cisco show yeah you know maybe that would be different yeah uh, but I could totally but understand. He's just done with DS9 itself. Well, when you right. think about maybe it, he's not done with Cisco. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, you have. I guess you have a similar problem with Cisco that you have with the Kirk character, which is that neither of them are around anymore in that timeline. Now mm-hmm. Shatner has written himself, or his ghostwriters, or whatever, have written him back to life a million times in the books, and he would jump back in the captain's chair, you know, for any legitimate role. Sure. Um, I think for Cisco, you know, for Avery Brooks. He, I'm not sure he's that interested in continuing the story. Well, and Shatner they... loves Kirk. He Shatner loves, loves himself. <laughs> and he loves a paycheck. And mm-hmm. he's not hiding either of those facts. So, I mean, but Cisco, on the other hand, or Brooks, excuse me, like he just, <laughs> yeah. he seems to have a different kind of integrity than Shatner does. I'm not saying that Shatner doesn't have it. I'm no. saying that it's different than Brooks. I mean, part of it is the franchise was built on the back of Shatner. Absolutely. Let's be honest here. And um, Patrick Stewart's show was the only one that really reached the same level of success. Right. You know, um, the other shows didn't. Yeah. You know, and so continuing those stories just makes more sense from a business perspective. Um, But uh, but anyway, we should probably switch gears here. Um, 
So talk about nemeses. So I did post a <laughs> poll. So uh, if you've been following along, I did a poll last week to talk about insurrection and where people thought it ranked among the four TNG films. Uh, I did this on uh, Red Shirts Pod on Twitter, mm-hmm. and um, we talked about that last week. So I decided to go back and do one. I wanted to do one for Nemesis, and then I realized I hadn't done one for Generations or First Contact. So I did those two. So I just wanted to go over those real quick. So very interesting results for for both of these. So for Generations, uh, nobody nobody picked second place. <laughs> no, nobody picked second place. Yeah, it's a polarizing thing. People did pick first place. Yeah, which is weird. Which I thought was interesting. Seventeen percent uh, gave it first place. Uh, the winning category with half the votes uh, was third place, and then the other third basically went to uh, to fourth place. Yep. So uh, that was kind of interesting. Not super surprising that you know basically eighty three percent of the people thought it was in the bottom half mm-hmm. of the Trek films, um, and then First Contact is is. Uh, I mean, the, the the general results are not surprising. 80% picked first place for first yeah. contact. Nobody picked second place, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. And then uh, 10% for both third and fourth place. Really? So It's a weird split. Yeah, I would be really curious to talk to the people who think it's the fourth best of the TNG films. Yeah. And why that might be. So you mm-hmm. can tell them that they're wrong? Not yes. that I can tell them wrong. I'm curious why. Because there, there are some arguments to be made that, you know, they turn Picard into an action hero. And it's just, you know, it's much more focused on that action. It's not really about exploration, which... The other movies have to do with exploration in some form. There's more moral plays uh, happening in all three of the other films. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so if that's what your trek is to you, then I could definitely see you wanting to put First Contact lower. Yeah. Um, but if those aren't your reasons, then I would, I'm would. i not sure what those would be otherwise. Yeah. So, P- please elaborate. So I'd be curious. So you can hit us up at Red Shirts Pod um, if you want to elaborate on any of that with us. But the uh, Nemesis poll, um, let me pull that up here. Okay. Oh, cool. Nobody picked first place uh, for Nemesis, which is the same we got for Insurrection, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was more mixed than Insurrection. Insurrection was basically even for the other three places, give or take a few percentage points. This one, though, uh, 44% gave it last place yeah. of, of the four. Um, so nearly half thought it was the worst of the four TNG films. And, um, you know, I've watched it twice recently because we rewatched it again to talk about it. And... I'm not so sure I would put it in fourth place anymore. Me either. I think maybe I'd put it in third. Um, Over what? Generations. I would absolutely put Generations last. Where I rank Insurrection and Nemesis is a little bit trickier, especially after rewatching, and we'll dive into this, but like after rewatching Nemesis this most recent time, I really like this movie. Like, I'm excited to talk about this with you guys. Interesting. Okay. Well, then. Let's do it. Let's let's dive in to Star Trek Nemesis, um, the tenth film of the franchise. It uh, came out two thousand one, mm-hmm. same so, year as um, Revenge of the Sith. Not Revenge of the Sith. Uh, the second Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones. Yeah. yeah. Uh, directed by Stuart Baird, who mm-hmm. has only ever directed three films: two prior to Nemesis, and then that was it. <laughs> yep. He was he's really an editor, and he's done some amazing movies as an editor like skyfall for example yeah um and he's a, he has a huge editor resume uh, with some pretty substantial films there there was a lot of controversy around this movie on the set on the production crew mm-hmm. um ray and i were talking a bit about this last night when we were mm-hmm. rewatching the movie because 
Um, you know, why didn't Jonathan Frakes direct it? He directed the previous two. Mm-hmm. Um, arguably, you know, First Contact, one of the best Star Trek movies. Um, he wasn't even asked, according to record. Um, then Stuart Baird also didn't bother to ask any recommendations or suggestions or thoughts from Frakes during production. Um, Bad moves all around. Yeah, that definitely, definitely. Um, Nicholas Meyer had been uh, approached to direct Nemesis, which I had not known until hmm. I was looking. He was heavily involved in Wrath of Khan and the Undiscovered Country. Yeah, and, and those two are of the best. Fantastic. Yeah, and he is attached to Discovery as mm-hmm. a consultant and is apparently working on another show of his own for Star Trek. Um, yeah. So the first thing here is the big argument against Baird is that he doesn't know Trek. Trek's not his thing. Mm-hmm. He's never watched any Trek. Did yeah. Insurrection do that poorly that they felt they needed an outsider's opinion? Nicholas Meyer is an outsider. Nicholas Meyer is not a Trekkie. He right, he said that multiple times. But he made an effort to learn who his actors were and mm-hmm. who his characters were. Baird apparently did not. Baird was not interested. Apparently he never learned LeVar's name, called him Laverne. Oh, God. I didn't even know that until just now. Um, That's cringeworthy. And Marina Sirtis is quoted literally calling him an idiot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it doesn't get much lower than that. And you know, look, she's a very outspoken yeah. uh, woman, which I love. I follow her on Twitter and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if she calls him an idiot and she's been in four films in seven seasons, uh, and I don't recall her calling any other directors an idiot, she might have a point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they're, they're, so Nicholas Meyer had basically said that if he's going to do that, he wants the ability to rewrite whatever he wants on the script and basically do it from the ground up and have control like he did on Wrath of Khan and, the, and, and Undiscovered Country. And the studio basically said no. Hmm. Uh, Rick Berman wanted... Why would they not trust him with his track record? Right. Uh, Rick Berman really wanted Nicholas Meyer involved, but that didn't happen. And then he wanted LeVar to mm-hmm. do it because LeVar um, had directed Trek before. LeVar? Right? Laverne, yes. <laughs> that is so bad. Well, I mean, to add insult to injury, Baird also thought that Jordy was an alien. Oh, my fucking God. Um, and so... This hurts. <laughs> yeah. This cuts uh, me deep. And the studio did not want LeVar to do it, which is insane to me. And it's weird to me that Baird wouldn't know who LeVar Burton was anyway outside of Trek. Right. I mean, he's been in the entertainment industry most of his life. I mean, <laughs> like, it's possible... That as an adult, you missed out on reading Rainbow. Because I saw the majority of that in classrooms. However, Roots was mm-hmm. a ground-breaking television series. Like, yeah. it involved so many prominent black actors, including O.J. Simpson mm-hmm. at the time. And it broke new ground for, you know, just race. Yeah. Race, yeah. Know. I, I think the key at the end of the day is, though, if you're directing a film that's the fourth in a series with the same cast that have been working together for basically 15 years, maybe learn who they are. Right. It's only seven people. I don't feel like it's a huge ask. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. Like, if you're starting a new job, maybe, like, learn the people you're working with and learn the fucking job. Well, especially when these are public people. It wouldn't yeah. be hard to learn who these people are. You... Yeah, yeah, this was 2001. The internet wasn't quite the same. So you go and ask Jeeves. And, <laughs> yeah. Not know. as good as Google, but it would have gotten the job done for this context. Um, so, you know, there, there were some issues there. They also had discussed about 
removing a member of the main cast and bringing in Jerry Ryan, Seven of Nine. Mm-hmm. Jerry Ryan turned it down because she said it made no sense for Ryan to be at the Troy Riker wedding. She doesn't know who these people are. Yeah. Um, uh, Marina almost got fired from it because she wanted more equal pay. Um, How dare she? And, you know, so there was controversy around Which, that. So. as a side note, I love Marina Sirtis and I love the growth that not just her character takes, but, like, the growth that she has as an individual from season one of, of TNG to these movies. And the fact that she goes from this very obviously lacking in self-confidence and she talks uh, cringe, cringingly about her experience in that pilot and how much she hates it and, like, her difficulties, like, getting good writing for her character early on and, and just kind of, like, being the eye candy to, like, here we are, this fourth movie, and she's like, no, fuck you, I want equal pay. Like, I love Marina Sirtis. Like, I mean, in that way, she kind of, as an actress outside of the show, embodies what Trek is all about. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there completely. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, Baird wanted his own signature and stamp on the film, didn't bother watching according according to record he did not watch a single piece of tng footage at all including the other movies Mm -hmm. um again something that i feel like it's just a damn shame it's just it's bad job preparation i mean and maybe we're spoiled now because all these actors get cast in these amazing roles and they binge these series and franchises and comic books and whatever to learn their characters and they Mm -hmm. love it along the way and it makes us feel like they care more well, yeah. I mean, you Abrams know. did the same thing for the 09. He did not go into it being a Trek fan. He went into it being a Star Wars fan, and he turned... Like, 09 is pretty much a New Hope and Empire combined. Like, yep. let's, let's be honest here. It kind of is. <laughs> and it's pretty much his audition tape for Force Awakens, you know? <laughs> There's some right. jokes about that, yeah. But... But he at least did the research. He knew the characters. Like, all the actors did their research, too, because the casting is pretty impeccable. Like, I couldn't have asked for better casting. So, at least he put forth the effort to learn the subject material. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, from interviews, I don't think Jonathan Frakes has ever outright said that he had asked to direct or anything like that. But he's made it pretty clear that if they had offered him the directing... Not only would he have taken it, but he felt that the movie would have been better. And, mm-hmm. you know... It's hard to argue that. Yeah. yeah. The guy knows the franchise. He knows the genre. He knows his fellow friends as the actors. He knows the characters. Um, that's why he's directing Discovery and the Orville. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm excited for um, both of those shows. Right. Like, he's not going to be attached to those two modern productions if he doesn't know what he's doing. Right. Right. Um, in the director's chair, right? Barrett is still doing movies, but as an editor, Right. And so those are different jobs. They have different skill sets and different qualifications. So, so anyway, that's that's where that is. And so we got the movie that we did. Um, <laughs> yes. Like it, hate it, whatever. Um, but I guess maybe we should start at the beginning with the uh, Troy uh, Riker wedding, or uh, with Romulus burning. I guess we could start there. That's fine. I mean. That scene is first. <laughs> it is first. And it's a typical, like, start with the action scene first and then go, like, you know, backpedal. Like, the first reel of modern cinema is all, like, bam, in your face action and then backpedal to, like, a quieter moment. It's a fair point. So, yeah, let's start. That. I, I kind of forgot about that scene already. I watched the movie 24 hours ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're both looking at me to start this. Yeah, let's do it. 
Okay. Well, you made an interesting comment earlier this evening about the movie, and I thought that that would be a good place for you to kick us off. I don't know. Maybe it is. So, I also have watched the this movie twice now really soon, and but unlike Derek, I've only watched this movie twice now. I really enjoyed it the first time around. I did not enjoy it as much this time around. I'm not sure why. I found it dragged a lot. Like, I found myself closing my eyes. I was wide awake, and I was like, my lids are getting heavy. When we started it, I was wide awake. <laughs> you teeter your hand somewhere else, sir. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I, I'm i bored by Tom Hardy's weird accents all the time. Like, I don't yeah. know. His accents are so weird. It's never his real voice. How does he actually sound? I don't know. But, he doesn't even know anymore. Right? It's been so long. I mean, it might be Shinzon. That was his first major role. It's true. He thought it killed his career. Um, yeah. Now, I don't I mean, know. About... I would think that too after the reviews. Like, I went and looked on IMDb what critics had said at the time of its right. release, and it was not good. So, I, I would, as a young actor, I would think that it had ruined my career too. Well, I mean, when your first big cinematic role is to basically try and be a poor man's version of a very beloved actor, like. Literally a poor man's version. Yeah, like, literally a poor man's, you know, alien version of, or clone version of. Uh, you know, raised by aliens of of a very beloved character and actor. Like, you're not going to do well. Right. Well, I think if the movie was made today, Patrick Stewart would have just played both roles and they would have de-aged him. Yeah. Right? Like, they're doing that with Will Smith and Gemini Man. Yeah. Right? But yeah. you couldn't do that in 2001 in any believable way. No. Um, now, uh, one thing to point out, because uh, we just mentioned, Ray mentioned the critics here that we didn't discuss, was just how much money it made. So this movie had a budget of $60 million. It only made 67 domestically. Oh, okay. So uh, that's a pretty good reason why there wasn't another one. <laughs> Which is unfortunate because, honestly, in the past, my disdain for uh, Nemesis comes from the fact that it was the end. And I feel like the entire cast and, and that their story deserved more. Uh, I've been wanting more for a very long time. When they announced the 09 films, like it was, it was great that they were taking, you know... The original series cast, but in my mind, I always thought, well, the, the next generation cast deserved to finish their story or to get more after the way Nemesis went. So um, that was my complaint initially. But watching it the second time, um, yeah, I, I had a different experience because my expectations have been managed. Well, I say second time; I've seen it a dozen times in my life. But like within the you know the rewatching it more recently, my expectations were lower, tempered, <laughs> tempered, perhaps. yeah. So, okay, so let's talk about this opening scene. So, it's in the uh, the Romulan Senate, which is pretty cool. Uh, we don't get to see that very often. No. Um, we get to see the big Romulan bird holding the two planets, Romulus and Remus. Um, any, I mean, it's it's a fine scene. Everybody dies. It's kind of dramatic. Yeah, very action So, I, I will say, like, I'm a cosplayer. I look at the costumes, I look at the makeup and the prosthetics. The Romulans looked fantastic. I love their prosthetics, I love the shading, I loved everything about it, and I thought they looked amazing. The Remans and Shinzon looked like jokes. Absolute <laughs> jokes. Like, TOS had better prosthetic work than... Really, you think so? I do. Like... Yeah, I have thoughts on this. Nemesis uh, with the, the Remans, specifically Ron Perlman's character... 
Like we the have, Viceroy. We have seen Ron Perlman look amazing in mm-hmm. prosthetics. Ten years earlier, he was on the Beauty and the Beast show, and he looked amazing in prosthetics. So, yeah. this dude knows how to wear them. These prosthetics look so bad. They looked like they belonged in a Buffy or Angel episode. Yes, yeah. And they would have been good on television. With, mm-hmm. But with that much big budget money, I expected better. Yeah. Even back in 2001? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Hey, come on, look at what came before it. Just before we saw the soda mm-hmm. with much better prosthetics. They were creepy and yeah. it was all hell, but they had better prosthetics. Yeah. And the costumes were ridiculous. They <laughs> That's true. looked like superhero fetishized drag queen outfits. Yeah. And I say that yep. with high regards to superheroes, drag queens, and fetishes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and I, I agree with everything you're saying, and I think also to add a layer to it, watching it uh, on Blu-ray now versus what was available at the time absolutely highlights some of the shortcomings. Yeah. Specifically with Tom Hardy. His Picard nose is so obvious. It's... You can see the lines, and yeah. I can't remember if I saw the lines on DVD, but it's super obvious on Blu-ray. It's not good. And you add that to, um, yeah, just the general lack of I respect thought. the train of thought. That these people grew up underground in the dark, so they should look like bat moles. Yeah. Kind of thing. And that's cool. But, but they could have done a better job. Yeah. I think if they would have toned it down and they would have been very pale and they had very like light colored eyes, yellow or red eyes, but still maintained a more humanoid shape. Like maybe they just did a white version of the Bolians or something, like right. stark white. Then maybe it wouldn't be. Creepy. And those costumes were so bad. So I want I want to put so some bad. perspective because I think this is important. So first off, I misspoke earlier when I said it made sixty seven million domestically. That was actually the global number. Yeah, oh. it's even worse. It made forty something domestically. That's, that's even worse. But that's sad. I do want to point something out real quick here. We're talking about you know how the movie looked and special effects, uh, prosthetics, costuming all costs money as part of the budget. So other movies that were out in theaters at the exact same time that were showing in in screens at the same time of this movie. We had Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, mm-hmm. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, oh, man. Die Another Day, which is a Bond movie. <sighs> I try um, to forget that one. So Lord of the Rings had a budget of $94 million. Nemesis had 60 Okay, so $94 million. Harry Potter had 100 and Die Another Day had 142 Jesus yeah. the And other, that was a bad movie. The other movie in theaters at the time that had the same budget as Nemesis, $60 million, is Analyze That. That's not good. <laughs> okay. So that's very um, sad. Trek, that's des- a sequel, Trek right? deserves better. Yeah, that's yeah. The Santa Claus 2 got 65. Okay, so that's okay. not good. So Trek deserved better. I think it's but important. <laughs> what I'm what I'm calling for would have been cheaper. What I'm asking is a reduction on the amount of prosthetics on these guys. That would have been cheaper. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not you saying have been that they on needed that more money. I'm saying they needed to scale it down. They didn't need monsters. They needed... Well, it was part of the archetype, right? That was that what, that's very Nosferatu-esque. Because the, like, the, the Remans are never shown or rarely discussed in Trek. This is and the now first they time. never will be again. <laughs> because you fucked it up, Nemesis. You fucked it up. I'm away. not like being hyperbolic here. They no. won't be because that's going to be ridiculous to recreate for only uh, they two might, or three episodes. They might try to revisit that in a way that's 
done better. I mean, in, in the same way that we're getting Klingons that are maybe a little bit more thought through I in season that. two, like we they might they might try and revisit the Remans. I mean, look, part part of it's going to matter on on what the timeline looks like in the Picard show, right? If they yeah. if they follow canon, the the dirty word canon, you know, accordingly, um, Romulus is is destroyed. Yeah, in this timeline. Um, we saw that in the Kelvin movies. That's a canon thing in the prime timeline. So there is no Romulus or Remus anymore. Um, so the, Remus was also destroyed. The like whole this? system was because okay. the, the star went supernova. That's or a yeah. star, a star nearby, went supernova. Anyway, whatever it was. Um, so those planets are gone. We don't know how many Remans would have survived uh, anyway because not many Romulans did. So we may never see them again anyway because of that story thread by itself but. yeah so moving on from from how they look so we have this opening scene um let's get to the, the writer wedding. and okay. yeah because we all wanted we would rather talk about that sure and yes wesley's unnecessary appearance oh god so he had lines they cut they them. were all cut yeah um, there, there's some wishy-washy stuff out there as to the reason, but he basically his role wound up as a cameo, so maybe it was a pay thing. I don't know, uh, but he did have lines. There's deleted scenes where he talks about what he's been doing. Um, otherwise, yeah, he's just there laughing. So I adore Will Wheaton, and I do love Wesley Crusher, and I feel really bad for him every time I see him on screen because he's clearly the smartest person in the room, and nobody cares because he's young. Mm-hmm. So I feel bad for him. I think Wheaton deserves better. He's the one person I want to see come back to the Picard show because I I think his his character got the short end of the stick the most. So I yes. like seeing him just even smiling in the corner at the wedding always makes me happy. I just wish he was necessary. You know, yeah. he, he yeah. served a purpose. He was even on that ship. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I want more. From him, I want to know what happened. I want to know why he came back. I mean, yeah. you know, he he went with the traveler to the far ends of existence, and I want to know why he would come back to Starfleet in a normal life, you know, Same. after having those abilities. Um, but he's not the only kind of cameo esque role we get. We get Guinan, mm-hmm. who we haven't seen since Generations. Yeah, I too have a limit of twenty three marriages. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's good to know. I gotta catch up, man. <laughs> it's a cute line, though. It is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you've you've got eternal life. It makes sense. Well, and, and the fact that it's those two characters, you've got the guy who could never hold a girlfriend, and then this woman who's been married 23 times. Like, kind of a fun dynamic there. I love it. <laughs> poor Jordy. Poor, poor Jordy. His uh, imaginary girlfriends. Dear LeVar Burton, I would have hooked up with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked Picard's speech quite a bit. Um... I thought it was really poignant and telling. As a side note, Picard's speeches and monologues are kind of the best part of this film. I mean, Patrick Stewart is the best part of <laughs> yes. most of the stuff he's in. Y- yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, I mean, the, the speech is really nice, right? He's the best man, mm-hmm. which is interesting that he's not the one performing the ceremony. That, yeah. Uh, which I like. I actually like that. Because if he's performing the ceremony, he's doing it because he's their captain and it's his duty. If he's the best man, it's because Will asked him to be. That's fair. Right? And it shows you where these guys have come from at a time when, you know, Riker was assigned to him at Farpoint and wasn't necessarily the person that Picard wanted as his first officer. He's been offered multiple commands throughout his career, but he's given them all up to stay with Picard. Mm -hmm. Um, 
they've gone the bat for each other so many times, the stuff that they've been through, to see that will... And against each other. Like, sometimes they've been forced into situations where they're opposing, like, a measure of a man. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's it's one of those things where I just think it's really well said. It's It's a good speech. He makes some silly best man jokes that feel very normal for a wedding, but maybe a little out of place for Trek. Now, maybe this is just me. Being a little nitpicky, but for the situation, I feel like he makes it a little too much about him <laughs> and less about Will. Like, it doesn't That's have true. to be, like, Will and Deanna, you know, but... You thought about what this just means to me. Yeah, he did kind of make that all about him. Not Joking, your day, jokingly, dude. but yeah. Not your day. <laughs> I do, I feel like it might have something to do with the fact that it just took them so long to do it. Right. You know, that he's kind of given them a hard time about it because, I mean, this... He had already been, I think he had been offered three commands before the Titan, I think, Um, you know, and they were on again, off again, you know, throughout their lives. And I think maybe from his perspective, it was more of just, I'm going to give you guys a hard time about this because I never thought it was actually going to (laughs) happen. And that's fair. That's fair. But so for the record, Rachel, you're saying that at your wedding, you don't want me to make it about me. (laughs) (laughs) Have you thought about what you guys are doing to me right now? Derek and I don't talk about this much on the podcast, and we're on so many together, but we're getting married, and Zach Woo! is our officiant. Yes. Yep. This is it right here. Yep. 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 It's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to be naked, though, like the baby's <laughs> Um I mean, you might not be. No, I will not. Um, <laughs> anyway, but... It's, Zach's it's... going to be naked. <laughs> Always. Just Zach. Always. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm gonna meet someone at your wedding. Nah, you're gonna be naked. Huh? <laughs> I mean, maybe you will. I don't know. <laughs> You've never tried it before. What do I know? Right. Um, it's the Naked Man episode. Yeah. Two out of three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the data moment is funny. He tells Data to shut up. I could have sworn he's told Data to shut up before. Yeah. But maybe not in those words. And I'm just remembering it because he meant it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I told Worf to shut up a lot. That's true. Clearly, we have to just go back and rewatch. The whole thing. Oh, Start no. over. Starting tonight. Watching Counter at four point. point right after this. Oh. Uh, it's a it's a good scene though. I, I like it. I like seeing them in their dress uniforms. It's funny that they had an, another excuse to wear those. I'm sure that was a decision by the studio. To be like, look, we paid a lot of money, yeah, for these in insurrection. Wear these again. <laughs> um, Once again, Crusher, uh, Doctor Crusher, is completely useless throughout this film. Yeah, like, unfortunately. What the hell? I love her so much, and she was so much more useful in the series. But mm-hmm. the movies did not ever give her a chance to shine. Yeah, I mean, so her her biggest role here is to basically explain the medical science behind the clone, and the computer screen kind of does that for you. Yeah. You know, it's showing these DNA strands, they're matching up. I feel like you can make the leap yourself about what that means. Yeah. Um, it's a shame. It's it's kind of a I waste. I mean, there was a couple times they had text on screen, and they literally just read it to other people standing behind them. And... Galaxy Quest! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's my one... <laughs> job <laughs> yeah so that that was a little bothersome i was like wait it, it's right there i can i can do that like i don't need that i don't need you to say that yeah i've got this there, there's one so if we're gonna nitpick it all it drives me nuts that she still collects the blood sample with the little plastic suction thingy yeah that we use today 
of all the science around her, right? They've got new tricorders in this movie that we've never seen before. New phaser rifles from... Why not just cut out the middleman and put the whole dagger underneath? Like... <laughs> right. Well, but, like, it's funny because she's looking through the microscope, right? But the computer's already running the analysis. So, is, like, is, is she checking it to be like, well, the computer says that, but let me just double check with my eyes. Oh, uh, God. Yeah. Uh, it's just not a very good scene. I mean, no, I, I get it's it. Not. But, um... Beverly Crusher is useless in these four movies, and it's disappointing because she's amazing. I don't know why you had to trade off, and Troy is the best she's ever been in these four movies, and Crusher's the worst. Like, why can't we have two women? Like, right. we can't ever just have two women. <laughs> I think part of the problem is the, sh the show wasn't written to focus on all of them in a single episode. Right. Right? And so you had Geordie episodes, and Worf episodes, and Crusher episodes, but now you have to focus on everybody in the movie, but you have to focus on Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner because they're the big names, they're the leads. Yeah. So you have to kind of have scraps for everybody else. Like, Worf and Jordy don't really have much to do in these movies either. That's true. No. Yeah. Jordy's just get, a liability. They get good lines, they get stuff to do. Crusher barely gets that. So it's pretty sad. That's fair. She got some new hairstyles, and that's about it. Well, that's true. She did. Um, so, okay. The wedding's over. Go on the mission. Uh, they're supposed to be returning home and they find positronic signals on a planet really far away that they're somehow scanning, whatever. Uh, <laughs> let's put that aside for a moment. So let's talk about B4. Yes. I mean, do we have to? Okay. <laughs> let's talk B4. <laughs> we can talk after. Let, uh... So, bumped. Something that's always bothered me about B4 is later in the film, Shinzon says that they found him, and then they had to make these modifications to him, like the memory port. Mm -hmm. So if that's to be believed, if we assume that he's telling the truth then, because he did tell the truth about some stuff. Yeah. Like right? being a clone. And so let's pretend he's telling the truth there. Was this Lore's body that they found? Yeah, they didn't They didn't pay enough respect to uh, canon with, <laughs> with B4 at all. It's just like a throwaway thing. Like... And if he's not Lore, does this mean Soong made another one? Right. Or is this somebody else's attempt to replicate data? I mean, an argument can be made for either, but... Why would you still, like, you have the technology. What is the benefit to using the Brent Spiner face? Like, I assume the argument is we can't replicate the technology yet. Let's just see if we can literally make the exact same thing. And then if we can, modify it from there. Is, is from, like, a coding standpoint what I would assume? Yeah. If I was an evil alien and I could replicate it, then maybe I would try and kidnap Data and switch him out. There you go. Yeah. This is, which is kind of the Shinzon story anyway, right? So there you go. So both times I've watched this movie, it's really bothered me that Shinzon was so upfront about who and what he is. I think he has more to gain if he kept it closer to the chest who he was. Probably, but he's not that smart either. That's fair. He's acting out of a place of just raw anger and trauma. Well, that's what his viceroy was trying to say, was that, look, we don't have time for this BS. We have to get this mission accomplished. And mm -hmm. I, was, oh, I was just merely curious about him. Right? It is a vanity thing. He wants yeah. to know what the life could have been. Mm -hmm. Right? Even though every time pa uh, Picard mentions it, Shinzon dismisses that. But that's the reality of it. He knows... That what he's saying goes the other way, and if he really believes what he's saying, then he has to also believe that he could have had that life. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Just 
That's, I mean, that's really the only reason you do it. It's the only reason that you invite Picard over. It's the only reason you even show yourself. Yeah. Right. Because the reality is, okay, you needed the he data wanted to be B4. seen. He grew up in the dark and then he wanted to be seen by yes. someone who saw, who understood him. He wanted, the, it's the echo over the voice. Yes. Right? What a daddy. He, I, he wanted to win. He wanted yes. to triumph over the, quote, real version of him. Yeah. Right? So it that was, his existence meant something. It was very personal. It was vain. That's what it was. He want, It was an ego trip. Yeah. Right? Because the reality is, okay, you needed the Enterprise to come there because you needed the data from B4 to know where the ships are. Okay, why did you need that, number one? Because if you have right. such a perfect cloak, you could have just gone to Earth and nobody would have noticed until it was too late. Okay? That's true. Right. They did say multiple times their cloak was, like, amazing. And... When they knew where to look, they couldn't even find him. Yep. Yeah. Ships wouldn't even be looking for him because they didn't know that thing existed before the Enterprise showed up. Okay? So, let's put that aside for a minute and assume they really needed to know where those fleets were because he also wanted to destroy them. Fine. So, he needs B4. Okay. So, you transport over the only positronic signals on the ship. There's only two. Right? And... You put them both in lockdown and until you figure out which one's B4, how hard could it be? And then um, you blow up the Enterprise, which they clearly can do. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the end of the movie, right? So there's no movie at that point. No. It's a big deal. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of plot holes and storylines that just aren't good. And I think that's the part that bothers me this time around is that, like... You, the three of us, have written a better villain in a matter of three or four minutes than what they did in you know the entire movie. But I understand the the personal side of it. I understand that he wanted to meet where he came from. He wanted to know who Picard was. He wanted to to take that over and win because yeah. he wasn't supposed to exist. And I think that is more interesting. Well, and at its core, it doesn't always do it, uh, you know, amazingly, but at its core, Nemesis is a film about the psychological question of nature versus nurture. Yeah. And and you see that uh, executed with Data and B4 and some of their exchanges. And of course, obviously, you see that with uh, Shinzon and um, Picard. And I think it's really cool the way this movie addresses that. I think Picard has a really awesome monologue later in the film where he is... Um, he, he believes in Shenzong because he knows they are the same and he is trying to redeem this person. And and Shenzong is trying to, you know, prove that he is the best and, and you know. Um, but their whole dynamic and Picard's selflessness and love. And, and honestly, um, Data and, and Picard have that scene where they're talking about, like, again, the nature-nurture aspect. And, and, and Data makes that very awesome point about how, like, you're not the same because you continue to strive to be better and he does not. And that, that's yeah. awesome. I, that, I, I don't know. I've been a little down on this film in years past and maybe it's just indicative of where I'm at in my life, but like watching this movie again and watching that scene in particular and the Shinzon interactions and, uh, Data and before it's like that conversation between Picard and Data, I was like, God, like that hits home. Like that, that resonates, that means something. And that's indicative, not just of what Trek is on the whole, but, um, what Data's journey has been since Encounter at Farpoint to this film, um, and, and and Picard's journey as well too. Like specifically in these films, like you go from like a place of loss and then a place of, of redemption and reclaiming yourself to a place of kind of youthfulness to now like reflecting on your age and and, and more loss. 
And uh, yeah, I just I really loved how that film did this. And in there, it's a collection of scenes that is peppered throughout this film and gives it flavor. Um, the film is not flawless; it's a hot mess. But those scenes in particular really um, make this film good for me. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, it, it has some good lines. There's some really good moments. There's good writing in here. Yeah. Um, it's not consistent, but it's there. It's not consistent necessarily. And it's hard to know how much of that, you know, uh, is the screenplay versus the directing versus whatever. But Versus just the actors just knowing their roles at this point. Right. Um, knowing how to deliver hot garbage in a way that's palatable <laughs> because right. they've been doing it for so long. Now, I, you know... I have some problems with the ship. I really do. Which one? Shinzon? Shinzon ship. um, Because it is so advanced compared to anything else. It doesn't seem plausible that the Remans could have built it without anyone knowing. So but that planet's dark all the time. You're not you're not looking at what they're doing in the shadows. Except they're that building the Romulans awesome control the mines, right? That's the whole point, yeah, right. right? So they've built this warbird that is larger than Romulan warbirds, mm-hmm. which are already larger than the Enterprise. Yeah. That has more disruptor banks. It has better shielding. That has two shields. It has better cloaking technology. That's a faster ship. This ship catches up with the Enterprise at maximum warp like it was nothing. Yeah. Okay. Now, warp's been inconsistent, okay, but there's no talk of using some trans warp or any BS like that in this movie. Yeah. Okay. So this ship is just so sophisticated compared to any other technology. I mean, it destroys, it it knocks out those other Romulan warbirds like they're butter. And there's a time in... knock out butter? You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Like when it slices the wing off of one of them. Yeah, true. There was like no effort involved in that, right? And the way he tricks them into, you know, the the all stop thing and letting down the shields and and Dina Meyer's character, and I love her, and I love that she's a Romulan in this movie and she's a commander and everything. It's super freaking cool. And then they forget that Romulans are the best strategic military minds in the entire, like, quadrant, right? Like, that's who they are. Their whole thing, the Tal Shiar and all that, these are secret motherfuckers who know their military strategy and don't trust anybody or anything. And the first thing they do when the, 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 the cloak starts to fail is, Hey, we're winning. Like, come on. I don't buy any of that for a minute. That's fair. And their warbirds go from being these massive, incredibly intimidating monstrosities to being these sleek warbirds that get destroyed by their lower class ship. Like it was nothing. Yeah. That's fair. From a technical standpoint, you make a lot of a lot of valid concerns. That's my rant. Yeah, <laughs> that's my yeah. nemesis. So rant. that's why we keep you around because, like, I'm here to knock on the costumes <laughs> and the lack of female characters. Yes, and you're here to point out just how stupid the engineering. Is. And I'm here to talk about how much the moral, uh, philosophical themes hit home. I mean, I, I get from a story perspective, they have to hit some of those notes, right, yeah. Zach? Because you have to have the Romulans get knocked out so Picard can save the day. And then the Romulan, can, you know, Dina Meyer can right. say, you've made a friend in the Empire today, Captain. Because right. that's a cool line, right? It is. It is. <laughs> it really is. In the context of history. And it's a damn shame that he didn't get to hit on her either. Because, like... Yeah, he didn't really get a love interest in this film. He didn't. And he was too busy dealing with his own kind and, of her, and moral demons. You know, he was super smooth in the last two with the ladies. So. Yeah, That's he was true. He was busy with his personal demons in this film and his clone. Um, 
so that battle sequence is really cool. It is. Right? It's a cool battle. Because you learn a lot more about space battle than you have in previous encounters, right? Because in the original movies, in the TOS movies, it's very naval. Yes. Right? Like Wrath of Khan, you know, where you've got different levels and, you know, uh, you know it's two-dimensional thinking and things like that, right? It's very slow. It's very, mm-hmm. it's very nautical. But this is not. Okay, you've got the ships flipping around to change its axis because the shields are failing on one side, and you've got you know crazy spreads of phasers, which you you know the ship can do because you've seen it in a couple Borg episodes, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Then you forget that there's like uh, twenty different phaser banks. Um, there's some cool stuff there. Yeah, you know, um, I love that the ship has to keep changing positions when the shields start failing in different areas. It's not just port and starboard because that's what it always is. Right, right. It's not that anymore. You've got you know all these other angles that they have to worry about and it makes it really interesting and then they ruin it by blowing out the main screen <laughs> and and here's why it ruins it okay at this point shinzon has not given up yet he still wants picard that's why he just sent an away boarding party onto the enterprise to take picard alive that's said two minutes earlier in the movie yeah and here he is launching disruptors and torpedoes at the one room he knows picard is in purposefully to to look him in the eye yeah and all he did was get rid of that red shirt right like one dude got sucked out what if that had been picard (laughs) yeah it was very thoughtless but again and maybe that just goes to show like his how thoughtless shinzon is exactly and he's raw ego and like he almost doesn't care maybe maybe I feel like he was still set on killing Picard and living at this point in the film. Yes. And it was after that, after yes. after the impact, which I want to talk about, uh, after the impact is when he changes and he's like, all right, that's it. I'm killing everybody. Right. Right. Because at that point, he's lost it. But before them, I mean, you just sent a boarding party with your viceroy, your one trusted person, over to the ship to take Picard alive. Yeah. And you really are, you, you just did the most you could to kill him right then. Right. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Do you guys have any other thoughts on that? No, I agree. It's about. Really. I mean, it's it, he's a messy character, and the way they portray him doesn't work in every scene. <laughs> now, Ray, I happen to know that you're a big fan of the collision scene. God, it looks so good. It looks amazing, and I'm really surprised they never had two ships collide before because that. One, it was just well done. Two, I I can't think of one child who didn't have two vehicles and crash them together like a crazy person at some point. <laughs> like, I did it. We've all done it. Like, yeah. you just smush your two toys together until you're bored. The fact that Playmates didn't make an Enterprise E that, like, the front would crash <laughs> in or something yeah. is a real missed opportunity. I oh, think. for sure. The uh, Playmates could have uh, teamed up with whatever company was making the Crash Dummies toys at this time. Yes. Oh, God, that's such a great idea. Yeah. Um, So I love this scene. I think it's one of the coolest moments in a Star Trek film in an otherwise complicated movie because Picard, you forget, people people forget how reckless Picard can be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what tapestry is all about. He's a reckless person. That's how he got to be where he is. And he's tempered over the years because he's aged he's matured he's slowed down he's become a diplomat but come on just 
two movies ago, First Contact, he was reckless as hell. He was yeah. willing to sacrifice hundreds, maybe even thousands of lives just so he could get revenge on the Borg. Like, he... This is very him. And Deanna, because of her situation, was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We didn't talk about that horrible scene. Yeah, do we need to talk about that? I mean, I feel like we should. I, no, I think we should. I think yeah, we should. We should. Talk about I don't want to, but... Uh, is there, any, is there anything else we want to talk about the collision before we move on then? Because it was really cool. It, it was, was just, awesome. It was really well done. Visually, mm-hmm. it's my favorite scene of the entire movie because just visually, it's impressive. It's magnanimous. I was We were watching it at home. I didn't see this on the big screen. And I still sat up, like, back straight, chin up, and was like, yes! <laughs> like, that was cool. Yeah. One of the things I really like about it is it is a callback to other films because in first contact Worf sets a collision course for the defiant yeah you know perhaps today is a good day to die ramming speed right and then um you know adam scott's there to say that the enterprise is swooping in and then in insurrection Riker pretends to do a collision course against the sona ship Mm -hmm. right to knock out life support and everything like that this is the third movie in a row where one of the main cast has decided to do a collision course. And this time... They followed through! They actually did. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it in those terms before, but you're absolutely right. And it is. It's super well done. Like, it's basically where their entire effects budget went. Yeah. Was this scene. Uh, because there's a lot of scenes earlier in the film to that think, did not look good. If they hadn't used all that money on prosthetics, it would have <laughs> been even bigger. Uh. Um, it is a great scene. I love it. It's, it's super cool. Until... Uh, Shinzon backs his ship off, and I'm not sure. I, I would need I would need to talk. If there's any physicists out there who are listening, astrophysicists, uh, I don't know necessarily that that would have pulled the ships apart. Because what is keeping the Enterprise where it is? So you also right. said like, why didn't the Enterprise just do it again? That's what I would have done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's talk about that scene because I feel like it needs to be addressed. I get so tired of women being hurt or abused or raped or assaulted or whatever just to move the plot forward. Yeah. And I kept thinking about it so many times. I'm like, this scene could have been different. And honestly, because they they pull it back and that's the only way out, that's the only way to find Shinzon, no, it couldn't have. And that yeah. sucks. That sucks so much that you have to do that to one of your only female characters, she had just become this, like, amazing character. Like, she's mm-hmm. at her peak. She she exits on her peak, which can't be said about every other character, and you you hurt her. Yeah. So that's sucks. As a plot device. Does it say anything, though, that she got revenge? I mean, kind of. stronger in the end? No, no. Like, the thing is... It's, she could have been strong and empowered without that. It's great when people get vengeance, but the vengeance part is not a plot device. Her mental violation is. Like that's yeah. that's the if the revenge was the plot device, then okay. Like I've seen whole movies where the woman is hurt at the beginning, the rest of the movie follows her vengeance path. And that that can be really cool. I understand that. That's much better, but nah. Doesn't doesn't the revenge though find like is the plot point to find the ship? 
No, that's not really revenge. I mean, she she's sacrificing herself to help everybody else to get them out of this situation so her friends live. That's not revenge. That's that's entering your trauma zone, the stuff that you try to mentally block off for the sake of others because it is the greater good. And that nobody wants to reopen wounds. Yeah, yeah that I mean, scene with that scene after the fact that like the debriefing scene after that whole attack was really uncomfortable for me because I, I didn't like, and I get from a plot perspective and from the necessity of what was going on, I get it, but it's uncomfortable having Picard tell one of his oldest, closest friends, like, fuck your trauma, you gotta nut up and do this. It's like, oh, like, and I know he didn't say it so cru- crudely, but it, 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 the desperation in his tone um, absolutely kind of swept over her trauma, and it didn't. he didn't seem to be his normal, empathetic, and understanding self in that moment. It was like, nope, ends justify the means, we've gotta do this, I'm sorry. But I'm like, I just... He didn't have his same normal level of, of compassion and understanding. It all, it's almost like, it's almost like, no offense to Patrick Stewart or Picard, but it's almost like the white man didn't understand the violation that the woman had gone through. That, that whole scene, the follow-up scene where she's explaining everything yeah. is almost just as bad for me because she is the ship's counselor. For seven years, they... They talked about how a counselor is needed on these missions because they're going to encounter things that nobody else ever will and Mm -hmm. it's going to change and shape who they are. And, you know, an addition of a counselor to the ship is a great idea. It was very progressive. Roddenberry was onto something there. And then you mentally traumatize her. It's immediately dropped until she has to revisit that trauma. Right. They don't see her go through any healing or problems they never address it again till the very end where she has to do it again and where she has to make that connection so it's just right. a poor trope that i hate because it doesn't seem to work the other way that viceroy could have violated anybody's head and it had to be the counselor it had to be deanna who was also you know objectified pretty hardcore earlier just for Trek standards, that was yeah. hardcore objectification. I mean, I, it's her because she's the telepath. Nobody else is telepathic on the main cast. Right. So, like, that's why. is and That's why she's able to do it back is because she's telepathic. Right. So, like, they've done that before in, in TNG. It's not the first time they've done something like that with her. So, maybe that's why it's not as shocking to me because they've used that device right. in a similar way. Um, not as intense or anything like that. And it also sets up the big fight scene with Riker because Riker's fighting him. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, you know, they also... Which I wish he would have had one of those great action hero lines that, like, stay yeah. the hell away from my wife, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Like, I wish he would have had something cliche because that... I, I don't know. I like that the two of them are such good partners and that he would have done anything to stand up to her. Yeah. I would have liked even more if she had been the one to, like, kick him off that ledge. Yeah. Yeah. She wouldn't have, though. No, I know. You know, that's the difference. Like, she also hasn't had, like, much hand-to-hand physical combat. So, I get that, too. Why are you going to put the counselor through rigorous boxing? Well, she's an officer, so she's been through the same training that Riker has. From that standpoint, from a Starfleet perspective. She became an officer a lot later than he did, so he has much more experience. Uh, sure, yes. He has definitely has more experience, yes. Anyway, the point is, though, I like the idea of Riker being able to 
beat the crap out of that guy. I think it's kind yeah. of fun. But, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily justify anything either. So I, I, I like that she gets back at him. I do. I like that that is, is used. Yeah. It's almost like if, he had, if they had never done anything to her in the first place, they would have won. Because she wouldn't have known to do that. And they never would have found the ship, the scimitar, and they would have won, right? And because they were bad guys, and because they did something that had nothing to do with the mission just to be bad guys, they also that led to their own destruction. I, I, I kind of like that. That's fair. I just, I hate, I still hate that, like, the plot situationally forced her to relive her trauma at a point where she was very vulnerable and needing to heal. I'm also, like, I'm not saying that women can't experience trauma. Female characters need trauma to move things along just as much as males do. It just, it's a very negative trope. And at the time, it was very prevalent, you know. That was also the Kyle Rayner girl in the fridge stuff, too. So, like, it it was in the movies I was watching. It was in the TV shows I was watching. It was in the comic books I was reading all around that time, you know. It just seemed to be... The the thing, like, woman gets raped or murdered, plot moves on. Like... Yeah. So, it it just kind of felt like, in this situation, there was no way out of it. They had written themselves into a hole. Yeah. So, it, it had to be in there. I'm saying a better writer could have done something different. Also fair. Yeah, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with that. I've talked already about how, like, I mean, the, the fact that the ship is adv- as advanced as it is is silly. And the only yeah. reason she needs to be able to do that is because the ship is as advanced as it is. If the ship doesn't have the world, the universe's most perfect cloak, then she doesn't have to do that to find them. And then you don't have to have it happen in the first place. Right. right. So, like, it's all connected, you know. Um, there's no question yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, so then, of course, we have the uh, the one joy in the movie, the death. Uh, to end on a bright note. The one joy in the film? I'm being sarcastic oh, okay. because we basically saved the two negative topics for the end of the, of the, of it's our true. discussion. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we have, you know, spoil, I didn't do any spoiler or thing, but this movie's 17 years old now. So, um. I mean, if they've been listening to the other ones, they know that we're talking about things and. So Data dies. Um, I love that sacrifice. I think it's a great move by the character. I think it's within character. I also don't think it was too heavily foreshadowed. My issue with a lot of things is that the the deaths at the end of the movie are completely foreshadowed at the very beginning. And I don't think it was. I think that it was handled well. I think that any other person... Data still would have done it. If it had been anybody else on that ship, it, Data still would have chose them over himself. And I think it really shows that TNG, at its core, is about the growth that Picard and Data had. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't know that Data necessarily would have done it for anybody. I think it's important that he does it for Picard. I think it yeah. absolutely is important. Um, you know... Picard's been the one who's there the entire time. He defends him during Measure of a Man. He's there to defend him when he's put in command of a fleet for a while and wants him to be his first officer, you know. Um, and at the end of the movie is trying to get B4 to to grow and become something of his own. Um, 
So I think that is really significant that if data is going to die for somebody, that it's Picard. The only other person I think it would make sense for is Jordy. Yeah, oh, yeah. I was going to say, I think that he'd sacrifice himself for Jordy as well. Yeah, for friendship. Because they're besties. Um, yeah, I'm not sure it was necessarily foreshadowed a ton. You have the transporter. The whole, like, transporter conversation the first time. I, I, and again, it's a technical thing. And maybe I focus on that type of stuff, you know, for those who, who listen in often. Um, it's, I'm not sure it makes any sense to me that it can only handle one person. And the reason being that you could be beaming up a single person, let's say in 1980s San Francisco, but what if and a have? person jumps on that other person being beamed up and they both get beamed up, even though only one person was intended to be transported, right? Right. Um, and so I don't really know that I understand how that works if it's, it's a if it's a power issue then if this was a fairly large person would it not work it's clearly a duos ex machina right and yeah. that bothers me when you create a limitation for a technology that you've actually shown advanced in the movie like yeah. beaming picard from the bridge over to the scimitar is not something you see much in trek right you have no. to go to the transporter room right and so well, we just need order. We can't have people coming and going. After <laughs> All willy-nilly. There's got to be rules, damn it. But, but that's my point. Like, you, sh- you show that in this movie. And, and like, only, like, two scenes earlier, yeah. right? And then you have this limitation of this device. And I'm, I'm just, I don't know. It feels a little silly to me. Yeah. That that would be the case. It also feels silly to me that when Picard said he's going over there, Data wouldn't have just given it to him then. Yeah. He's in the room with them. When Picard decides to do this, Data like, Captain, hang on a second. Why don't you take this? You know? <laughs> yeah. The thing that you know exists that we already saw earlier in the movie. Yeah. Just seems like a good thing to, to do. That's fair. At that point. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm fine with there not being enough time to prepare the transporters. It's only seven minutes. It's less than seven minutes, so fine. That, right. That part's fine. Um, but, you know, the fact that, like, they don't even show Data try and shut it down... Like, why doesn't Data try and shut it down? Everything would be in Romulan or Riemann. He should be able to handle that. He is very smart, very fast. Like, it, he should be able to stop stuff. So, put, putting that all aside. Yeah. Like, yes. Character-wise, it was really beautiful. It and is. And it was it is. very wonderful to watch. Story-wise, again, we've come to another situation where just talking about it, asking a few questions, and it makes no sense, and they could have written things better. So, I, it, Nemesis and Insurrection, I think, both suffer from the fact that they were on to something. They had something good. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the talent to back it up. Behind the scenes. Clearly, they do on screen. Right. Well, it, it was sad. I mean, Brent Spiner actually helped write Data's death. Um, he actually got screenplay credit. Yeah. Aww. Uh, or story credit, story credit, That's not not cute. screenplay. Excuse me, uh, story credit, uh, screenplay. What am I saying? Story. Brent Spiner, okay. Brent Spiner, and Rick Berman also got story credit. Yeah. Not screenplay credit. Excuse okay. Me. Logan was the only screenplay credit. Um. Anyway, so it yeah, I think it's a fitting end to him. I think that it. It's the it, it's his transformation into being quote human right yeah is sacrificing that life because he's talked about many times about how he would you know from an all practical perspective live forever kind of thing right and that bothered him that he you know didn't really have an end and this was it 
Yeah. It's a and beautiful moment. You were saying last night that while watching it in theaters, you were almost convinced they were going to kill off Riker because it would have made things very tragic that he just, you know, died after his wedding and it was before the Beta Zoid wedding and everything and you know, you thought when he was going to fight Ron Perlman that he was going to his end. I did. Yeah, seeing it in the theater, in the moment, with as dark as it was, how that fight was going, I thought we were going to see Riker die. I really, really did. Um, because that would have been a gut punch. Like a big it gut punch, been. right? Man. Something shocking, something surprising. Um, it just felt like that's what was going to happen. And I was surprised when it didn't, but I wasn't shocked when it was Data. I wasn't. It made sense. Yeah. Now you have, you know... Was that a, a same gut punch for you? Like, you guys saw it in theaters, correct? I yeah. didn't. Oh, I did. okay. I did. So, how was that reaction for you? It was sad. Don't get me wrong. It's super sad. But I wasn't actually shocked by that point. Basically, as soon as Data leaves the bridge with Jordy, I'm like, well... That's not going to end well. <laughs> yeah. I, I just felt it because I knew they weren't going to kill off Picard in that moment. It just wasn't going to happen. It didn't feel like that's what they were doing. Which mm-hmm. is sad because they've been kind of teasing his death since first contact. But, you know, they, they, they have and they haven't. Like in Insurrection, there's there's never really a moment where he's that close to death. There's, you know, when when he's on the collector and it's blowing up at the end. You Maybe know. not close to death, but he lost control of himself. Yeah. like a death. <sighs> Very existential of you, but, (laughs) you know, I just, I never really, there's never been a moment in the Star Trek movies where I thought they were going to kill off Picard. I don't think they kill off the main character. Side characters have more emotional gut punch than killing off the main characters. Yeah. But, killing off Data, he, you know, was, was a main character in the movies. Build just behind Patrick Stewart. Um, and so, you know... Logically, it makes sense because Brent Spiner is not eternal and Data is. Right. And then, I mean, there's some pseudo-canon stuff in there about how he was designed to look like he ages, kind mm-hmm. of like the Terminator sure, uh, that sure. they, you know, they <laughs> threw in there. But, uh, you know, they're not going to go that route. And that's fine. Um, so they have the, the moment afterwards. The crew kind of talks. And, you know, Riker... I, I remember the scene Riker's talking about. On the holodeck, which is cool. Yeah, um, it's a nice, it's a nice moment. Um, the B four thing is cool. I appreciate what Picard's trying to do. Yeah, that says more about Picard than Data at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like about it though is how the scene ends with B four starting to kind of sing a little bit, mm-hmm. and Picard has kind of this sense of, of renewed hope. Yeah. Right? And, and like, his face as he's walking out, like, yeah. It's a very card walk, the music starting to, uh-huh. you know, to swell up. It's a good like moment. That. It's a really nice ending shot for him. It is. If I have any problem with the end of this movie at all, it's that I feel like it's a huge missed opportunity not to show the Titan. Yeah. Near the Enterprise and Space Dock. It just Again, makes Again, if they hadn't no blown their budget on the prosthetics. Like, when you look at First Contact, and they made a dozen brand new ships for that battle sequence against yeah. the Borg, you couldn't have even picked one of those as the Titan? Like, I get that the Titan looks totally different now, but it was it didn't exist then. Right, right. they easily you know? could have been the design. <laughs> right, you yeah. could have picked any one of those really cool ships that we saw in the First Contact battle, and thrown it out there, and put Titan on the side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would have been fine with that. Um, but, you know, I feel like that's a missed opportunity to not show the Titan. Because if the movie had done well, then you could do a Titan movie. Yeah. If the movie didn't do well, then, well, at least we got to see the Titan. 
Yeah. And, and you get to make more toys eventually, you know? Like And instead we got neither and now you can yes, you can get the Titan through Eagle Moss, um, because there's an official Titan model now thanks to the books. We um, are not sponsored by Eagle Moss, just so you know. <laughs> no, I'm just letting people know if they want a, a Titan, a physical version of the Titan, you can get one now. This is um, just joke. Okay. So anyway, any final thoughts on Nemesis? Where would you rank Nemesis? In the four TNG films, that's that's rough. Um, because rewatching both Nemesis and Insurrection in the last couple of weeks, I've realized I love both of those films a whole lot more than uh, I originally, especially Nemesis. I love Nemesis more than I originally realized, uh, at least on this most uh, recent rewatch. So I don't know. Like Generations is easily my last. Like that. That's the easy one to get rid of first on my list. Um, after that. I love First Contact, and so it's, I guess it's an easy second, but I don't know. If it's possible, I would like to tie Nemesis and Insurrection for my third place and just have no fourth place. It's really hard for me to pick one of the two, because they both... Oh, might... I thought you were saying Generations was your fourth place. Fourth, like, least favorite, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, not fourth place, fourth okay. place but, like, as far as, like, my... my um, second, third place. Second, third place gotcha. split, Yeah. Uh, I already eliminated Generations from my consideration. Uh, but so, like, looking at those two films, like, they're both flawed, they both have their issues, but um, they both have a collection of really good Trek moments. And so, yeah, it's really hard for me to pick between the two. Right. First Contact, Insurrection, Nemesis, Generations. And that's my list as well. Yeah, uh, We've done all four TNG movies four weeks in a row here, so they're pretty fresh for us. Yeah. Um... Now that you've, we've seen all four of them, we've discussed all four of them together, do you have any thoughts that maybe hadn't occurred to you before, having watched them all kind of separately on your own, or anything like that that, you know, you want to... It's so incomplete. Mm -hmm. You know, Nemesis feels like it, the cast was meant to continue, have one more adventure or something, because yeah. I don't feel that everybody got an ending. I feel like half of them got an ending... So it just, it feels like they messed up. Like that's, that's my issue is that it, it doesn't feel like it's a finale. It feels like, meh. And maybe that's why I like, part of why I liked it more this time around is because it's not the end. And I don't know what the Picard show is going to do. I don't know that it's going to give an ending to all these other characters, but knowing that nemesis was not the final time we saw picard on screen gives me hope that some of these other characters might actually get a more fitting ending and i mean if the picard shows as popular as i assume it probably will be like who's to say we wouldn't get like a reunion film of some sort or, or event um with the full cast oh, and, God, and i would, would be cool i would be all aboard well you're not gonna get a movie unless cbs and paramount merge back together um when i win the mega millions i'm making that happen derek <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you guys to, to a, a significant extent. Um, it, it feels very left open and there were plans for a fifth movie with this cast, yeah. but the studio was not that interested in it. The studio actually wanted to replace the cast in this movie, Good um, God. but Rick Gross. Berman basically was able to talk them out of it, uh, apparently because he convinced the studio that with launching the Enterprise show giving audiences two new casts would be just kind of confusing to people yeah. and just a lot of new and they should, you know, keep the course. Yeah. Um, and so okay. thank you, Rick Berman for, for doing your best on that. Um, you know, and uh, data gets his end. 
Riker and Troy go off on their own. We don't really learn about their adventures. Picard, you get, you know, he has that, you know, renewed sense, sense of hope. Of, you know, finale with him, but nothing really with Jordy, Worf, and Crusher. And all very important characters. You know, she you could more. say that Worf wasn't he still on DS9 at the time? DS9 was over. Okay, by this so point, never mind. Um, and it's a little confusing because. Now, it's been a while since I've watched the finale of DS9. Um, so, Zach, maybe you can refresh my memory on this. But didn't Worf leave Starfleet to go work as, like, an ambassador for the Empire? I believe so. But actually, I've been doing a DS... You're asking because I've been doing the DS9 rewatch in case the listeners at home don't know that. Uh, and I'm actually not quite finished yet. Okay. So I, I vaguely remember him being asked to help kind of I, rebuild the Empire. I think you're right. Everything. And I thought he left. And whereas in Insurrection, they like try to like pretend to give a reason for why he's on the Enterprise and then he gets cut off. In Nemesis, they're just like, whatever. Yeah, don't even care. <laughs> I will say like that's one of the things that bother me as a Deep Space Nine fan. Like you get to Nemesis and like they try and play it off like he's like, you know, sad that like Troy um, and Riker are getting married kind of for a minute. And in reality, it's like. Dude, Worf moved on. Like Worf married a woman, they had a thing, and she died, and it was awful. Like I don't, I don't see like a logical progression for that character. And, and this is yeah, they didn't that even poor guy. Like all yeah. of his wives die. Right, well, for sure. Yeah. So like I don't see him because that was one of the things I think Michael Dorn might have even said that in an interview. He's like, oh yeah, I drank too much because I was sad about this wedding. And I'm like, were you sad about this wedding though? Because you already married a woman and were very much in love, and you had a really great thing going before she died. Like, like don't. Don't pretend like you're still pine. Like I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah, it, I, I that doesn't it. make any sense. It's weird because um, I mean they're doing it for the groups that didn't watch Deep Space Nine. They don't want anyone to be confused about Worf's situation. And I honestly just took it as uh, Worf. Like Klingons just know how to party. Like, One too many prune juices. They just go hard, <laughs> you know. Right, like, but if they go that hard that often, then they should know how to hold it and not get that. To sick. be fair, it was Romulan ale, and I would imagine Klingons yeah. don't drink that too often. It should be illegal. It is. It is. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's it for the TNG cast. Um, you know, we'll see what the Picard show brings. Yeah, but those are our thoughts on Nemesis. Join um, us next week to talk about other Klingons getting turned. <laughs> or not um no so next week so here's here's the deal everybody who's still tuned in at this point in the show so my uh co-host greg is going to be unavailable for a little while and uh we want to keep the show going until he is able to return uh hopefully by the time discovery is back on the air here so my my cohorts my partners in crime ray and zach are going to try and continue things with me for the time being so I was thinking that we could continue on with the Kelvin timeline, if you guys are okay with that. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> I don't like any universe where Chris Hemsworth dies. Oh, that's fair. That's, <laughs> I mean, there was rumors he was going to come back for the fourth, but, and who man, knows. Man, have you been watching the Marvel movies? Because, uh, um... I think, like, he wants to extend his contract with Marvel. He's really liking he's, Thor. He's and coming to his own in that role. Unlike the other two, yeah. uh, Robert Downey Jr. and the other Chris, uh, Chris Evans, yeah. his trilogy has just oh, yeah. gotten better instead of worse. So, yes. like his character's on a high note. Bringing it back, bringing it back. Bringing it back right. to Star Trek. Anyway. So next week, yeah. you guys are cool with it, we're going to move on to 2009's Star Trek reboot yeah. sequel prequel. 
I really sequel, enjoy prequel. this movie. I'm going to love this so, so much. I'm, I'm excited to talk about the next three movies because they're cosplay. all... <laughs> They're okay. all. I'm gonna cosplay for a podcast. That's not. I, I have I have a, a really cheap 2009 science officer's uniform, and I then know. I have I actually a pretty nice Beyond one. I'm pretty happy with that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna move on to the Kelvin timeline next. So the next three weeks will be 2009 into Darkness and Beyond, mm-hmm. um, and then that brings us to Thanksgiving. If I'm doing my calculations correctly, so. Oh wow. That uh, yeah, and then we'll, we'll, I think we'll take that week off, uh, give ourselves a little break for that. So that's what we'll be doing in the meantime. Uh, for those of you who have been keeping up with the show, thank you very much. Um, we are going to continue to bring Trek to you as much as possible, um, and Greg will be back in the future uh, if we can if we have anything to say about it. We uh, miss you, Greg. We miss you, Greg. Come home. Um, but he is <laughs> he is hard at work. Uh, you know, doing his job and we appreciate that and definitely respect that. And that's why we're going to keep the show rolling for him. So, um, we will be back. Red shirts pod on Twitter is the best way to get a hold of us or at heroes podcasts on Facebook and Instagram or heroes Uh, guys, where can people find you? I am Siren Ray. I am a cosplayer. I am also a host on two other shows on the network, Costume Couture, which is a web series, as well as Screen Heroes, which is kind of what launched this network as a podcast network, so check that out. It's a movie and TV show podcast, and that's what I do. And you can find me on Twitter, at AvengersZS. Awesome. And I am the Star Trek dude on Twitter. I uh, also have a Facebook, but I'm on Twitter more often. So please come talk with me. I do Star Trek polls and talk, you know, that and games. I'm also on Screen Heroes with Ray, as she mentioned. So come talk to me. I love it. We'll catch you guys next week. In the meantime, live long and prosper. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.